0: Second Samuel chapter 11 this morning. Let's start with verses 2 through 5. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife? Of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers. Obviously, he did not listen to their rebuke. And took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Verses 26 and 27. David has killed her husband now as a last resort to try to cover up his sin. And in verse 26, the Bible says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now look with me at 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verses 15 through 24. Then Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice, How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. Let's pray. Father, we have come this morning and we are grateful for the ability to come and worship You. We pray, God, as we conclude, Father, this uh, two-month look at Your design for the home. You are designed for the man and for the woman and for children and and our place within the home and our place within the family and our place within society. God, today You would help us to wrap it up. God, that You would encourage this morning those that maybe feel like it's too late, like there has been too much damage that has been done. God, I pray that You'd help me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, that I would preach spiritual words, to spiritual men and women. God, we just ask that You would have Your way. God, that You would work amongst us. That You would do a work in our hearts this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, very difficult text this morning. I want to say that I want to deal with, as we conclude our sermon series, the reality that sometimes life doesn't go as planned. What do you do when it has been messed up? We have been studying now for two months God's design for the home. God's design for the man and for the woman and for the husband, for the wife, for children and what it should look like in the context of God's great creation and design. And I've spent some real time, rather than trying to give a shotgun blast and preach this thing out in two different sermons, I've spent some real time dealing with specific people. If you are here this morning and you come from a broken home, you may be in a second marriage, your children may be living in different homes and going from one house one week to one house the next week. Maybe your marriage is is on the rocks and it doesn't look like it should. Maybe your life is messed up. If that is you and you've been here the last several weeks, there's a great possibility that you are discouraged. That you're thinking, it's too late for me, because we didn't do it that way. We have not started that way. And and destruction has come. I want you to know this morning, that it's never too late for God to do something great in your life. I want to preach what you do when it seems too late. First of all, I chose this passage really through prayer, asking God, Lord, where, where, how, where do we start on this particular sermon? I want you to know something about the Bible. The Bible is about as true of a book as you'll ever find in your life. It is the Word of God. And it's the heroes that are in this book. The Bible tells us the truth about our heroes. This is David. The Bible calls David the man after God's own heart. This is David, the greatest king that Israel has ever known. And the Bible, unashamedly, unapologetically, just tells us the truth of his greatest sin in all of his life. Doesn't leave it out. We don't have to go somewhere else in history to find the truth about David and his gross sin. The Bible gives every detail of it. And here's why that's important for us. Two reasons. Number one, you can trust the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't just sugarcoat everything and make all of the heroes look like people who were sinless. Because they weren't. They were men and women like you and I. But it also teaches us that God is a God of redemption. That God is a God who is faithful to us when we are faithless. And that God is a God who finds a way to to redeem us and to fix what's been wrong and to, and to work around all of our weaknesses and our sins and our failures. And we see in the life of David, the Bible's a book of real people. And God's Word recently, as we've been looking at it, it has showed us how to live. It has showed us what the marriage is supposed to look like. It has showed us what raising kids is supposed to look like. But what do you do when it's too late, when when you've already been divorced, your kids are already split up in different homes, life has not turned out the way that you thought it would? We have this morning in our first text a picture of a home that is just like that. So what do we do when it seems too late? first thing I want to say this morning is you need to acknowledge how you got there. You need to acknowledge it. Don't blame everything that's happened on your life on somebody else. You need to acknowledge how you got where you're at. Sometimes it's the choices of other people. I do believe that Bathsheba was a and um, she was married to Uriah the Hittite. Her husband was a warrior for the Israel army. She was an adult. She was able to make her own choices. But most of this lies on David's shoulders. He's the king. He's the one that sent for her. You know, sometimes in life we end up in places as a result of other people's poor choices. But rather than getting bitter, and rather than getting angry, and rather than letting what happened in the past control my life today, I've got to acknowledge it's messed up because this is true. That's why. When you don't do it God's way and you refuse to accept God's design and you refuse to walk out the path that God has set before you, there are consequences and they affect everyone. You've got to learn to acknowledge how you got there. And this morning, if any of you here have been frustrated over the last few weeks as I've been preaching to the husband and the wife and what the home is supposed to look like, and you've been frustrated with me because it doesn't really apply to you because your life has already been been ripped apart, what you need to do first and foremost is be grateful that we, through the Word of God, are warning people not to go down the same path you have. And you need to have enough integrity to stand up and say, It's true. I know, look at my life. Don't go the same way I went. Don't do the same things that I did. I want you to know that as God changes your life and changes your circumstances and changes your your direction, God at times can use those things that we messed up as a platform to help others. I would, If I could go back and redo my life from the age I was 14 to the age I was 20, you better believe I would redo it. I would have served God a whole lot sooner. I would have gave my heart to Him and served Him with every fiber of my being. I would not go back and do it over again the same way if I had a thousand different times to do it over again. But you know what? That's the way I live my life. Drugs, alcohol, crime. I, I was awful. And while I wish I hadn't gone that route, here's what I can tell you. After God changed my life, there are certain people that I've been able to connect with because I can honestly say, no, I do know. I've been there. I I I do know. And so don't talk to me like I don't know. Yes, I do know. I live there. And God can change your life. It doesn't matter if you were brought up for 20 years in a home that was conducive to that type of living. It doesn't matter if if everything in your life seems totally messed up and you are addicted as addicted could be. God has the ability to change your life in a moment of time. And I know because I was that man. At the same time, I'm going to acknowledge if you don't come up out of that, I know because I lived there, it will ruin your life. And so I have to find a way to take my experiences... Point people to the Word of God and say, the Word of God is true. And I'm not going to be frustrated with the truth that we, there are consequences to pay for our sins. I want you to notice that David and Bathsheba, they lost their first son or girl. We don't know if it was a boy or a girl. The Bible doesn't tell us. There are consequences... To sin. God loves you. And before we get done today, you're going to see that God makes a way out. That God is always faithful. But don't think for one moment you can toy around with sin, trample on grace, and come out unscathed. That's not how it works. No matter how gracious God is, no matter how merciful it is, you cannot trample on the grace of God. You cannot break the commands of God. You cannot go your own way Walk in your own understanding, do it how you want to do it, and expect to come out on the other side unscathed. It doesn't work that way. But what do you do? When you have gone there, and that is you, and I'm preaching to you this morning, where do you go from now? I want you to realize, first of all, you've got to repent of it. Okay? If there's any part of this that's your fault, you've got to repent of it. You cannot continue living the same way, doing the same thing, living the same sin, and, and expect God to bless your life and to help your life change. You have got to repent of your sins. You've got to turn from your way of living. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba and his wife went into her and lay with her. She bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. I'm, just, I'm preaching real life stuff this morning, okay? Her husband's dead. She's with another man that she never planned on spending the rest of her life with. She has a son now with David. You have to learn to let go of the past and hold on to what God's given you now. She still had life to live. Be willing to grab a hold of the pieces that still exist. Be willing to grab a hold of what you do have. And understand, you're not dead yet. You never thought life was going to turn out this way. You never planned on living this direction. You never thought that that the way that you're living now was the way that life would unfold, but it is. It is. And what you've got to know is that God is still good and God is able to take the pieces that you have and do the unthinkable with them. You've just got to be faithful to God. You've got to say, I'm not going to keep going down the same path that caused the the division in my home and caused the destruction in my life. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to take the pieces I have today. I'm going to take what God has given me now. I'm going to take what I still possess in my hands and I'm going to do God's way this time. Pick up the pieces that you have. Be thankful for the kids that you still have. Be thankful for the family that you do still have. Be thankful for the husband that you have now. Be thankful for the wife that you have now. Be thankful for the church that you still have. Be thankful for the friends that you still have. Be thankful for your God who has not left you and has not forsaken you understand there's still some pieces to grab a hold of and don't sink back in depression and think that God can't ever do anything with you because God is a God who's able to do the unthinkable if we're willing to simply trust Him and say, God, I'm done living the way that put me in the mess that I was in and I'm going to change who I am now and I'm going to follow You from this day forward. My first point this morning on what do you do When it seems too late. Point number one never underestimate God's power to restore. Never underestimate God's power to restore. Look what the Bible says in Joel chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. I can get there. Is it behind me? All right. I kind of like reading it out of my Bible a little better. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. and My people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Look at verse 25 one more time. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army. Uh, and I want to deal with this idea. of My great army which I sent among you. Okay. This was a very specific prophecy to the people of Israel. If you read the next three verses, we have that famous passage where God says, I'll pour my spirit out upon you, upon your men servants, maid servants. And so we know in some ways the passage is symbolic to God restoring the spiritual state of the church. But what he is referencing here is the reality that when Israel as a nation would turn against God and sin against God, God would send national punishment. And one of the easiest ways and most effective ways to punish a people in this era of time was to destroy their crops. You destroy their crop, you destroy just about everything they have. They have nothing to trade, they have nothing to eat, they have nothing to plant in the following years. It destroys everything. It's like, a, it's like an awful um, uh, drought that would just kill everything. And God says, even when it seems destroyed, I will restore what was destroyed. I will restore what was destroyed. The Bible tells us the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And while God might not necessarily, as He did in the case, for example, with David and Bathsheba, God might not necessarily bring the child to life. God might not necessarily change that exact circumstance that has already occurred. What He is able to do is restore to you the life that He desires you to have. He's able to restore to you your sense of direction, your purpose, your meaning, everything that was stripped from you when your life fell apart, everything that was taken away from you when everything crumbled in your life and you felt like you were hopeless and you felt like God didn't care anymore and you felt like you're not, your life could never be meaningful and you felt like it was too late to ever do something for God. God says, I can restore to you your purpose, your God-given reason for your design. I can restore to you your dignity and your direction for, your, for life. I can restore to you what was been destroyed before when the locust came and devoured all that you had. Never underestimate God's power to restore. I love the words, but God. When reading the scriptures, one cannot help but notice the repeated expression, but God. These two words, but God, they signal a change, a contrast. But God. What follows in those words, but God, is a significant transition from the problem to the answer. God makes all the difference when He's brought into the picture. Listen to these passages. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. David said, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Word of God says that they, speaking of our enemies, they gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood, but the Lord is my defense and my God is the rock of my refuge. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind. In Isaiah 48, The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the Word of God shall stand forever. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, The magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. In Matthew chapter 19, when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? And Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I tell you this morning, there can be a but God in your life. No matter how messed up it is. No matter how how far apart it seems like where you need to get and where you are, at this exact minute, there can be a but God in your life. It might be messed up. You might have lived your life to this date doing it your way. You might not have had everything work out the way it's supposed to work out. Your home might not look like what it's supposed to look. Your marriage might not look like what it's supposed to look. There can be a but God in your life if you're willing to let God step into your situation, step into your life and direct your path and have His way with you. There can be a but God in your life. I think about the reality. There's a lot of those here. I just I, I there, I've watched so many times that 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 life as we know it had had marked out a different course for somebody in this room, and then all of a sudden, in a moment of time, there was a but God. I see Scott Bishop sitting right here. No desire to serve God, no desire to be in church. Kind of a mean, scary guy to be around. Showed up to church one day without any intention of hearing anything that was said. He was here because his brother-in-law was dying of cancer. Wanted to at least sit in service one time with him before he died. He came and God began to deal with his heart. And he had no intention of leaving changed but God. You see, God, God, God got a hold of him that day. He's never been the same since. I think about Branson. Branson was was, was, a, was a fighting, hard to get along with person. I met him at the gym. Tried to tell him about our church. He cut me off. He had already mapped out another course for his life, decided he knew there all, all there was to know about church, decided he didn't want to have anything to do with it, decided that everybody in the church was hypocrites, decided that everybody in the church was just living one way and speaking the other and hateful and there was no purpose in being in the church. And he didn't even want to talk to me that day. The thing is that while he had mapped out a course for his life, but God had something else in store. And I never had any idea what a conversation in the gym would do one day, but God moved on his heart. Three months later, he showed up in church and came down here and gave his life to the Lord. He's never been the same since. I look at my life. I was broken. I was angry. I was sad. I was depressed. I wanted to kill myself. I saw no purpose for me. I had no direction in life. I had no reason to keep living, but God all of a sudden intervened in my life and drew me to Him and opened my eyes to the reality there is a God in heaven who has the power to change my life. And in a moment of time, God did in me what years could not do. He saved my soul from hell, changed me forever because there was a but God in my life. And I was broken. It would seem that it was too late. That's what it would seem like. It was too late. No hope. But it's never too late when God steps on the scene. No matter what you're facing this morning, no matter how broken your life may seem, no matter how messed up your home has become, it might not look like it was supposed to look. It might not look like God's design from the beginning, but understand God is a God of second chances. God is a God who divides a way when there is no way. God is a God who is able to take what seemed impossible and do the impossible when we're willing to say, God, we messed it up. We know we messed it up, but all I can do is live from this day forward and I'm going to live by your principles now. I'm going to follow you now. I'm going to do it your way now. I'm giving you my heart now and God take the pieces I have and do something with it it doesn't matter how destroyed it is because the God that we serve is a God who made creation ex nihilo that's the Latin word for from something out of nothing he made all that we know with nothing nothing We don't understand how that happened. We don't understand what that looks like. All we know is that He spoke ex nihilo out of nothing and something came into it. Surely a God this morning who could take nothing and turn it into something can take your broken pieces and do something with it great and magnificent that could change your life forever, that can make your home look like God wants it to make. The God who speaks and makes something out of nothing can take your broken pieces Jesus, this morning, and change your life forever if you'll just believe He's able. If you're willing to say, God, it's time to do it your way. God, enough of doing it my way. God, I know that it's broken because we didn't follow your commands. But God, today is your day. Your day in my life. You look at what Jesus did with the pieces that remained when He was here on earth. They needed wine and they were out. Jesus said, "All oh, I need some water. Just put some water inside those things and bring them here. And I'll give you what you need. There were thousands of people that were hungry. They had nothing to eat. Jesus said, just give me the two fish and the five loaves. And I'll find a way to feed these people. If you just give me the pieces that are broken and that don't seem like they're enough and seem like there's no way that we could ever meet this monumental task. Jesus says, if you're willing to take them and you're willing to trust Me with them and you're willing to put them in My hands, I can do more with two loaves and five fish than you can do with enough food to feed 50,000 people because God is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. We've just got to be willing to get out of our depression, get out of our our, our negative thinking, get out of our, oh, it's too late and God, God can never do anything great with me and say, God, it might not look like a lot. It might just look like two loaves or two fish and five loaves when there's such a big need, but I'm going to put it in Your hand. I'm going to let You do what only You can do, God. And I'm going to trust that You're going to do the unthinkable for me. Jesus took legs that had no strength and simply spoke and told the man to get up. He took flesh that was diseased and told men, get up and walk. Go, show yourself to the priests. They were healed on the way. He took the pieces and did what nobody believed was possible. And here's what I want you to see this morning. He did it all by the power of His Word. He did it all by the power of His Word. Don't miss it this morning. The first miracle that Jesus ever performed recorded in the Word of God took place in John chapter 2. It is when Jesus turned the water into wine. It's the first time a miracle ever occurred in the Word of God by the hands of Jesus, by the mouth of Jesus. And here's what Jesus' mother said to those men standing by the water pots. Because it sounds awful funny, doesn't it? Just put some water in the pots. But here's what she said. Whatever He says to you, do it. That's the key to Jesus working a great work in your life. She said, whatever He says to you, do it. It might not make sense why Jesus says, if you need some wine, just fill those things up with water. It might not make sense why Jesus would say to a man whose legs didn't work, get up and walk. It might not make sense why Jesus would tell those that, were, that, that their body had been taken over with leprosy, get up from where you're at and go show yourself to the priest. That was an act of, uh, of being cleansed. It might not make sense the things that Jesus commands us to do, but if we're going to see the work of God in our life, if you're going to see your life turned around and changed, you've got to get to the place where whatever He says, do it. It doesn't matter if you understand it. doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to you. doesn't matter. If God's Word has said you've got to do it, if God's Word says to live this way, if God's Word says to forgive your enemies, if God's Word says to be faithful in the small things, if God's Word tells you to do it, you've got to do it. If you're going to see the power of God change your life, He did what He did by the power of His Word. And finally this morning, Point number one, never underestimate God's power to restore. I don't care how broken it is. Point number two, it doesn't matter how destroyed it is. It doesn't matter. All God needs is nothing if that's what He wants. And He can take the pieces that remain and do something great with it. And third thing this morning, the goal of God is to change your life. And this is what I want us to see about the sermon series that we've been through. The goal of God is to change your life. Look at Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So I want to talk about this passage. I want to deal with some of the wording. I know that a lot of times we have people that come to church uh, that have very little church background. First of all, A lot of times the Word of God tries to give us spiritual understanding using terms that we understand with our ears. And so uh, God telling us that He will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh is a symbolic way of saying the heart that you have now is hard. It's incapable of feeling like God wants it to feel. It's incapable of loving the way God wants it to love. It's incapable of doing the things God designed it to do. So, the Word of God says, I'll give you a new heart. That's the heart of flesh. That's a heart that is soft. That is a heart that works like it's supposed to. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Here's what I want us to see this morning. God's goal is to change your life, not your day. God's not concerned about just changing your day. God does not want to change you week. God does not want to just change your circumstance. God wants to change you. It is your life that God is after. And there is too much of this in our modern day culture where it all appeals to you and your life today, your circumstance today. God doesn't just want to change your day. He wants to change your life. And until we are sincerely willing to come to God and say, God, I see it. This is truth. This is the way I'm supposed to live. Your Word endures forever. You are the God of all. Your Word is what matters. You are the God of all creation. You should be God of my life and I repent of my sins and I follow You. Lord, come into my life and change me until we are willing to take that step. God's not real concerned about changing your day. God's not real concerned about just changing your circumstance. And I'm going to tell you why. Because there's something bigger than this life, brothers and sisters. There is a real hell to shine. And there is a real heaven to be gained. And God doesn't want to just make your week better and then let you spend forever in exile from Him in a devil's hell. God wants to save your soul. He wants to wash you clean from your sins. He wants to give you a new heart and put His Spirit within you. And God is concerned about changing your life, not just your circumstances. Now this is important when we bring it back into home improvement Because the real way God changes the home is by changing our lives. Changing the way we live. Changing the way we treat each other. Not just fixing one circumstance to the other. God's main desire, first and foremost, is to change your life and save your soul from an eternity in hell. But secondly, here's what I want us to see. If God truly changes your life, it will change the way you live here. I want you to follow my progression. I'm almost done. This is not all that difficult to comprehend. If God truly changes your life, it will change the way you live here. And if we change the way we live here, it will ultimately impact the harvest we receive here. Galatians chapter 6, it's a law, it tells us this. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. I said it at the beginning of the sermon. You can't live your own way, follow the directions of your own heart, live in your own understanding, only serve God when it makes sense to you, and expect God to bless you. No, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. If you want to sow sin in your life and disobedience to God, you will reap feeling worthless, feeling like you'll never be anything for God, feeling distant from God. You have to be willing to sow good seed if you're going to receive good harvest. And this is why God wants to change your life, not just your circumstance. He wants to save your soul from hell and then He wants wants us to change the way that we live. It's a lifestyle change that God wants. It's you that God wants first. And I want to say this morning, if you're not willing to let God change you, if you're not willing to let God change you and save your soul, if you're not willing to repent of going your way and living how you want to live and say, God, your laws are now my laws, Your ways are now my ways. I'm following you. You lead. You direct my path. If you're not willing to make that decision, if you're not willing to make that life change in your life, don't expect God to bless your life. Don't expect God to invade your life and force you to receive good things and force you to live in blessing and force you to live in His favor if you're going to reject His hand, His guiding hand in your life. God wants life change. Some of you have already given up on some of the things that God spoke to you about during this very sermon series. There are probably some of you that some of the some of you men, some of the things we talked about, how you ought to treat your wife and how you ought to build her up, and some of you women, how we talked about how you ought to build up your husband and 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 what that's supposed to look like. There's some of you here that you listened to those sermons and you thought that makes perfect sense. I'm going to do it. And you went home and you did it for two days. And then it didn't work. Didn't work. I tried it for two days. Didn't change them. I knew it wouldn't work. No. We have to be committed to life change. We have to be committed to doing it God's way. We have to be committed to doing it because we know God has said. This is not a two-day test try. God doesn't work in two-day test tries. God doesn't work in two-week test tries. This is a commitment that, God, I believe Your Word and I'm going to follow You to the end. It takes more than a week. It takes a life that is devoted to doing it God's way. It takes a life devoted to doing it God's way. So worship team comes and I prepare to give an invitation. Is your life changed? Is your life changed? That's what God really wants. Is your life changed? Do you realize that no matter how bad it looks, God is the God who can make something out of nothing. He can certainly take the pieces of your life and mold them into something greater than you ever believed was possible. I want to challenge those of you that over the last several weeks, maybe you were motivated by God to start changing the way you treat your wife or to start changing the way you treat your husband. I want to ask you this morning to honestly ask yourself, have you stuck with it? Or did you leave motivated for two or three days, try to do something for two or three days, and then say, well, this is too hard to work? You've got to be committed for life to the things God's called you to do. Maybe you're here this morning finally after eight weeks you're thinking this was a sermon I needed to hear maybe your marriage you've been fighting for years maybe you and your wife have talked about divorce more more times than you can count maybe this is your second marriage third marriage maybe you've been divorced and you're looking to get married understand something no matter where you're at it's never too late for God. But God wants to change your life. That's how God changes your lifelong circumstances in the past, is by changing your life in the direction you walk. So I ask you this morning, is your life changed? To really change? Are you allowing God to direct your path? Father, I pray that you'd move all across this room. God, I've said it the best I know how to say it. I pray that you take my feeble words. God, that somehow, way, you would make them make sense in the hearts of these people. I pray this morning, if there be anybody here who's not truly been saved, they're not, they have not allowed you to change their life, that right now courage would come over them to get up out of their seat and to come forward and kneel at one of these altars and plead for forgiveness and make their true commitment to follow You with their life. God, I pray this morning if there be husbands or wives here that have already kind of given up on the things that they decided they were going to commit to doing. God, that they would see in the depth of their heart this is going to be hard, this is going to be difficult, but it's a lifelong commitment and I've got to be committed to the task of doing what God called me to do. Lord, I pray this morning if there be some here that are deeply discouraged because their life doesn't look like the picture uh, that that you originally painted for the home, that they would see you're still a God who can take the broken pieces and do the miraculous. That it's never too late when the pieces are in your hands. That it's never too late for you to do something good and for you to do something great, because you are always good and you are always great. In Jesus' name.